One more big topic to hit before we go, and that is Richard Garcia getting the axe at Perth Glory yeah. after a season mainly spent on the road. Is this is this harsh, given the circumstances have been so difficult for them? I don't think so. I don't think so because, like, I will say that there's plenty of stock and, and plenty of, you know, to have to travel on that road is, is a perfectly reasonable excuse in a lot of people's eyes. But I think in that traveling period, there was a lot of hope from Perth Glory fans that, oh, this is a, this is a byproduct of the fact that we're playing this nomad sort of style over on the Eastern seaboard. And, and once we come back and play in front of a home crowd, the results will be better. But even in that period, there was enough, evidence to suggest that whatever improvements, whatever benefits a home crowd would bring when the glory returned to Perth were not going to be enough to make this side into a competitive outfit. And I'm talking about things like starting two fullbacks in your front three. Those are the kind of things that don't just automatically get better when you go back to playing in front of your home support. You don't think Jack Clisby suddenly turns into a world-class no. winger just because he's playing in front of a friendly crowd? <laughs> These issues, like, sure, I will admit that intangible benefits like playing in front of a good atmosphere or home crowd does have a lift to your performance, but not enough to fix and rectify just objectively bad managerial decisions like that. It's funny that you think back to those signings that they weren't able to make uh, because of the the boundary. The, uh, uh, let's not get into the policies of it. Uh, but Andrew Naboo and Nathaniel Atkinson were supposed to join Perth Glory before uh, it made it impossible and they ended up staying with, with Melbourne City, of course. And it's just more wide players, more fullbacks and wingers. And there's no central midfielders in the squad. It's mm. incredible to me that they weren't even, you know, they, they weren't stories about how they missed out on this central midfielder or that. Yeah. It, it's a, As it's, I sneeze into the microphone. It's, it's a bit of a shock, frankly. And I think that's that lack of creative intervention or inspiration in midfield has, is not something that is unique to glory this season. Like it's always been down to one player to do these things. This season, it's been Fornaroli. Seasons gone by, it's been Diego Castro. Like, has he really ever? Did Diego Castro ever really have a creative partner in crime? And they haven't throughout replaced Castro. Years? No, their, their marquee is Sturridge, and he's obviously been a disaster. I but mean, even if he's fit, that doesn't solve Perth Glory's problems. No, he's not. He's nowhere. They've near replaced that. Kilkenny with Brandon O'Neill. Fair. That's a like for like, like yeah. arguably an upgrade, given Brandon O'Neill. You know his record in the competition, you know, he's won titles at Sydney FC. Mm. He's a Perth boy, good signing, but they didn't replace Fornaroli at all. And the, and the player that was the nominal, you know, Spanish number 10, they were going to bring in is actually another striker in Sardinero, who's been perhaps the biggest disappointment of them all. Yeah. And I think back to, it's not as if this problem was a shock or a surprise and it's like, Oh, where's the, where's the creativity in midfield coming from? We could not have foreseen this. I'm thinking back to the season preview that we did and the, I don't think it was me, but the single biggest question you posed when talking about Perth, and I'm sure Nick Stoll was the same, was 
who is going to fill that number 10 role. We can see where all the other players fit in, you know, other than how do they fit the front three in, like where to Sturridge and Fauna, little did we know, didn't really have to worry about it because Sturridge has barely seen the pitch. But where was that creativity going to come from? And the best justification I would was able to give was that, oh, well, I guess Sardinero must be that player because there's no way they could play three strikers all together at the same time. They must be trying to use him as a 10. But um, that has not worked at all. They would have been much better off, even though he is fairly old, much better off playing Diego Castro, keeping Diego Castro and playing him with Fornaroli rather than this gamble that they've taken in Sardinero that has not paid off at all. And pretty much they are faced with the same problem going forward, creating chances that they had last year, which was it's all on the shoulders of one player. They've just changed that player. It's interesting. It comes back to a central kind of identity crisis of what Perth Glory want to be. Do they want to be a bling club, a destination club, you know, a club that tries to bring fans through the turnstiles with big names, that tries to win silverware, uh, that is ambitious? Or do they want to be a club that develops youth and has their own, has an identity because they are WA players, they, you know, their their youth team is unbelievable. They've won so much, in mm. you know, they've been so successful. It's, it's them duking it out with Perth Soccer Club pretty much every year for the title, which is not the case with most youth teams across the country. Some of whom are in second and third divisions in third, their state-based yeah. MPLs. So they clearly have the talent, and we've seen glimpses of it with Steins and Coley this season, who I don't think have been given the license by Richie Garcia, and that's where I do come down hard on him. That Steins and Coley have not been give like not been allowed to share the pitch mm. when creativity can come from those two players in central areas yeah. and they haven't empowered those young players. And like I said, that's a problem that doesn't change whether you're... And those, those, they're, they're in the early 20s as well. It's not like they're raw 17, 18-year-olds that you're scared of giving no. too much burden of responsibility to. They should be playing. Otherwise, they're not good enough. Otherwise, well, let them go. We almost have like, a, uh, like an age tax or like a reverse of an age tax in Australia where it's like because our propensity for playing youth football is so bad that like if you're 22... Like, 22 is the new, like, 19 in Australian football. Up like and coming 24-year-old Nick D'Agostino. Well, um, who's the, the 24-year-old for, for Perth as well? Steins as well. Is like, like, everyone's like, oh, my God, look at this exciting new young player. He's 24. He's 24. That's not like, I'm sorry. That's the age where you should easy, be established. Easy for me to say this as a 22-year-old, but that is not young. Like, the, in footballing terms, you're only three years away from your peak. That's like, that's... Sorry, no offense, Josh, but that's not. Uh, no offense taken, I'm at my peak, baby. Like in in footballing <laughs> terms, that that's not young. And like I said, with the positional decisions, like playing fullbacks in attacking parts of the pitch, those are not things that just go away when you come and play in front of a home crowd. And clearly, they haven't because their results in front of their home crowd, which was supposed to be the sort of saviors, people had flagged as like this saviors run where they'll come back and. They'll be on a tear because they've finally got their fans back in front watching them again. They literally haven't they have won a game. They've so been terrible since they've come back home. It comes back to a couple of things for me. Yes, Richard Garcia clearly wasn't good enough, but also they didn't really support him very well with the signings that they made. So the question is, who is responsibil- whose responsibility is it for crafting the balance of the squad and the profile of player that they're going after? It looks well, like Terry McFlynn is the football ops guy. He suggested the Sturridge signing apparently because he saw he was available. 
and brought on into Pinata and Garcia. Top secret database. And his top secret database which is, which definitely, is definitely not, not transfermarket.com. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm sure they have other scouting software available to them. But, uh, you know, who who is responsible for the sporting direction of the club? Does it come down to the manager? Is it the owner? Is it the CEO? This is the problem we have with so many A-League teams where the direction, you know, is is fairly rudderless and you've got people managing mm-hmm. the cap instead of managing the, the vision of, you know, the actual philosophy of the, of the team and what they want to be. And you know what concerns me about this, Josh, is you think about the other other clubs where we've had serious, like, fundamental structural issues, like top to bottom, like root and branch kind of reviews needed in recent seasons, one of which being the Melbourne victory, you can make the argument that they haven't necessarily done enough of a sweeping wide reform in, no, just, a, in just appointing Tony Popovich, but they have still been able to... They fixed some of the the off-the-field issues at the club. Yeah, and they still have been able to make some positive gains in terms of uh, being a well-run top-to-bottom club. And part of that is because their underperformance last season was made to look so much worse, and it was terrible, but even worse than it was by how well their crosstown rivals were doing. What concerns me about Perth is that, and Western Sydney the same, have to be conscious of how well Sydney FC have been doing, and that makes the need for them to change all the more important. Again, they haven't necessarily done that. But Perth don't have competition where they are at the moment. There's no one else coming to take that spot in w- in WA. Um, there's no second... WWA. T- yeah, there's no <laughs> second team about to give them a threat, but that's in the short term. Is that Perth Red Stars music? That might not be the case in the future. So we need to know who is doing these things they need to figure out what direction they want to take this club maybe they want to have a little bit of both maybe they do want to have some of that you know bling coupled with the youth players but they need to actually you know um like they can hedge a bet both ways but it needs to be a decent bet like Mm -hmm. they need to really put the chips in um because my worry is with no competition in their area they won't do that and they'll just continue to kind of Drift, float along, yeah. Well, Perth bound for the wooden spoon. They've got Ruben Zadkovic as the interim head coach. GBI, yeah, good bloke index, <laughs> very high. Yeah, he's an intense character. Let's say that he is. I was well. I was almost expecting Kenny uh, Kenny Low to come in because the way I was thinking about it is when Richard Garcia was sacked. Obviously, Kenny Low recently has been doing his analyst stuff on on the Perth coverage with Adam Papalia. Um, I was kind of expecting a Ireland-style repeat. I don't, I'm sure you remember this, Josh, where Stephen Kenny obviously took over as the manager of Ireland and <laughs> covering the Ireland games on the broadcast was Mick McCarthy, the previous manager. And Mick McCarthy would sit there as the co-com and just hit, like pillory the way in which the Republic of Ireland you know, were playing. I was wondering if maybe we were seeing good guy Kenny Lowe do that and set him in in an attempt to put himself over and back in the frame for the Perth Glory job. But it doesn't seem like that is going to happen, and it shouldn't happen. You know who I'm tipping for it? It's not just because of the the jacket you're wearing. Oh, sure. One of the favourite sons. I don't know. I don't know. Returning across the border, Scott Miller, make it happen. I I don't think he... I don't think his head's in 
in well, you're closer a, to to Lang Warren than I am. No, no, no. I I completely see the justification, but I just don't know if his passion lies with with exclusive, trying to be an A-League coach exclusively again. with coach. I think he has a sort of wider football lens that he is interested in in hmm. influencing okay. at the moment. That, that's just my su- suspicion. I don't actually I don't actually know that for certain. Um, but I, I just get that feeling that he wants to kind of serve a wider purpose than just focusing on one specific team. Do I think he do a, a good job? For sure. Um, although I, th- I think maybe a few people would raise their eyebrows at, at an MPL2 Victoria coach coming across and being planted into an A-League job, rightly or wrongly. I think mm. wrongly, but I think the optics, um, we're talking about a club who signed Daniel Sturridge here. Um, I don't think the optics would be great, and I don't think they'd be willing to take it on. Of course, Sadkovic will, will make his, his case for it uh, in the next few weeks, uh, you know, if that's what he wants. But there's one other like name I want to this... float. Sure. Ramon Falzon. Mm. Head coach of Perth SC. Very successful there. Local guy. Very, very well respected in the NPL. I would like to see more coaches come up from the NPL. Your moon spec. Yeah, exactly. You know, or Pappas. And he went overseas, I guess, a little bit. Mm. He made a name for himself. No, I'll pay it to you. But uh, he's also got a fantastic accent, Ramon Falzon. It's a nice Maltese. This is a great name. Yeah, it is. I mean, I accidentally called it WWA before. He sounds like he could be in the, in he's the, the WWE. He's the, Mal- he's the Maltese Falzon. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say Razor Ramon. We better know. go. <laughs> it's not getting any better from here.